of course, my privilege to introduce our speaker for the next couple days, Dr. David Doran. I wanted him to speak on purity. Obviously, that's an issue in our world today, the purity gone mad. And so he's going to do that for us tonight and then a couple times tomorrow. So, Dr. Doran, would you come up and share the Word of God with us? Let me invite you to go in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, please, this evening. It is a joy to be able to be here and uh, be a part of the conference, and uh, thankful that the Lord worked it out that uh, after uh, getting canceled out two years ago, uh, be able to come back and, and be here for the conference and uh, enjoy the privilege. I've had the opportunity to be up in this area a few different times over the years, and I always actually enjoy uh, coming up over here and uh, thankful to do it. I trust our time in the Word will be uh, profitable. Our desire is to focus on the issue of purity. And what I intend to do is actually look at three different passages in the three sessions and just try and dig into the truth that's in those passages as well as then sort of close off in the last session with, with also a sort of a practical application kind of a handout at that point. But uh, really wanting to drive uh, the roots of our pursuit of purity in the Word of God, because it is the water that God uses to clean our lives. And so that's the, that's the endeavor, and so I hope we'll, we'll be able to fruitfully uh, do that over the time we have. Uh, you're here, so I'm assuming you recognize the need for this topic. Uh, without trying to dig in too much, because nowadays when you go to search anything online connected to this, you could set yourself up for all kinds of unwanted stuff later. Uh, but just just even scratching the surface in terms of the problems with it, uh, obviously we know that our the morality of our world and culture has has uh, come unglued. Right, that that uh, the reality of whatever may have been left over of of sort of a Puritan ethic has disappeared, and and uh, it's now not not only more common to find justifications for things like sexual immorality and marital infidelity, but actually turning things completely on their head to say, since these are such problems, why did we ever think we shouldn't be living like this? Right? Instead of thinking infidelity is a problem, the problem is monogamy. Because we've cut God off from the equation, which effectively lowers us into the, into the category of animal. And, and sexual things are just biological urges that need to be satisfied. There's not really any moral component to it. The last remaining vestige of moral component in our culture is consent. But if the participants consent, then anything's good. right? And that's, that's effectively the worldview that is being pumped at us 24-7 via entertainment and education and culture that that to be concerned about morality in these areas is to be prudish and potentially bigoted and that message just keeps pounding in the coarsening actually of our language is affected with that right i mean some of us may be old enough to remember uh when when euphemisms were considered risque. And now people can just say whatever they want because words are just words. And the concept of profanity or vulgarity has essentially drifted so that we've come from a kind of entertainment. I'm I'm old enough, some of you may uh, remember a TV show way, way back called Love American Style. Any of you old enough to remember that? All right. And, and this was an edgy show at the time that effectively communicated that something bad was happening by showing you a bed, but nothing more, right? It essentially left to your imagination that something was going to be happening that we can't show on TV. 
I mean, we're not even remotely close to that now, right? There's no limits on it. There's no limits on what can be said. So, so even even a uh, just a normal walk through life in our world, uh, someone with a conscience shaped by the scriptures is having to use the language regarding Lot, having their righteous soul vexed continually because the impurity and coarsity of language that is in entertainment and in communication and sadly at times being adopted by Christians to be hip and, and cool. That, that it's, you're hung up. I actually had a, a short brief engagement with a pastor who is effectively saying, well, you can't really say that word's wrong because the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. And I'm, I don't have time to get off on the hobby horse or the rabbit trail of it, but, but if, if you're going to expect, expect the Bible to actually explicitly tell you an English word in 2022 is sinful, you've got a horrible approach to ethics from the Scripture. Right? It would create categories, of course, jesting. And, and we would be making decisions about that. But we live in a culture that's like, well, you know, we'd, let's not be hung up on that. Right? And obviously, you come to a specific kind of issue, which is rampant in our day of, of pornography and the assault on us in that way. I mean, 3 to 6% statistics are said that are... Three to percent, six percent of the American population is in some way enslaved to the use of pornography. That that sixty-five percent of young men, when surveys are done, view it at least once a week. Eighteen percent of women. Seventy percent of the users of of these. I'm not even going to say the main one, but the main place of it are men, right? So, so it's just it's just an overwhelming assault on the purity of the nation, of all humanity, and 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 believers are a part of that, right? We are being bombarded. I mean, just think. I've I've thought at times. Uh, of what, I mean, if you could transport the Apostle Paul from, from the first century, pop him in a car and have him driving around Boston. And the stuff he would see on billboards, you know, that, that would have been just shocking to see the assault on issues of temptation and, and uh, provoc- provocativity about that. Right, so it's massive, and we know it, right? Because we'd like to think it's all just out there, but it, it's not just all out there. It's among God's people. If you've been around the church much, had to disciple, encourage the the devil is making his inroads among God's people. And I think if we're all honest, if we have a pulse, we all face temptation. Right. the The reality of it is that 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 we, uh, we get drawn in to things entertainment-wise that, that, that at some point then our conscience is, what did I just do? Why, why, did, I, why did I allow that to be? And we, we find ways to, to try to rationalize, but there's this gradual war of att- attrition on our consciences. And so it's a good thing to have time like this to stop and consider what God says and, and allow the truth of God to be at the center of our thinking about this. We're going to loop in and out of these, but uh, in, in sort of a, if I could put like the emphasis note of the three sessions I'll be preaching, tonight is why. Tomorrow is sort of what does God expect of us, and then in the first one, then the next one is how. So how do we, why should we pursue purity? What is the standard that God has for us in the pursuit of purity? And then how, how do we pursue purity? And looking at God's Word, 
to to focus focus in on that. And and what we need to recognize is that in many ways our situation is unique because of the avalanche of access. Right? Even in the course of my lifetime, I'm 61. I I mean the course of my lifetime, you used to have to go to the red light districts to get stuff that's pumped right into your phone now. Right? That's that's what I mean by it's unique. You used to have to go out of your way to encounter stuff and and it's it's bombing at you, right? If I mean if I mean I I mean, I hope it's I, I I hope it's not that there's some uniqueness to me, but I mean, actually, even today, I I someone went to follow me on Twitter, and and I always check because I want to make sure it's not something. And, and sure enough, it's some some site advertising access to to nude photos. It's like so they're they're coming and and they made a comment about some comment I had made, and they're just trolling out there. Looking for the ports of entry into your into your temptation, right? And so there's these little three dots. You just go right there, go down, and go block, right? But but it, it's not it's not passive. It's active, right? It is coming after us. It's coming after our kids. It's coming after our grandkids, and and it's coming not just after our sons coming after our daughters as well, right? That 18%, it's not just a male problem. And so, so we're supposed to be leaders. And we have to recognize that we need to man up to that fight for the purity, not just of our own hearts, but of our homes. And, and make certain that we're doing so from, from a solid foundation in the Word of God. So, so tonight I'd like us to zero in a little bit on why pursue purity. And we're going we're gonna to look at one verse of Scripture, all right, and, and try and work, just understand this text and seek to press it home if I could. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore... Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. All right, so it's a powerful little verse. You can see by the word therefore that it's tied to the verses that preceded 14 down through 18. So I'll refer back to that, but he's essentially coming to the, the concluding exhortation based on this. And and he sets forth two responsibilities, and he talks about two realms in which those responsibilities should be fulfilled, and gives us two reasons. All right, and so so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually sort of categorize them in this way. Right, so there's the responsibility on a negative and a positive, and the realms associated with that responsibility and the reason. And but I wanna. I actually want to deal with it that way just because I'm pushing toward the reasons as the the key here. But in order to understand the reasons, we need to understand the responsibilities and the realms. All right. So that's that's sort of where we're at. So let's look at the two responsibilities in the text. You can see them just by the way they're stated. The first is let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. So the first one is cleansing. And this statement, I think, about cleansing is tied to the language of chapter 6 and verse 17, where it talks about things being unclean, right? Notice verse 17, Therefore come out from, a, from their midst to be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. So then he says, cleanse yourself, right? Don't touch what is unclean. The point uh, in in context is this mixing up of Christ and Belial, of light and darkness. It's, I think, primary application is worship and service of God, but clearly it it, it broadens it out in its language when it talks about the the gap or the relationship between believer and unbeliever. He's not talking here uh, that there should be no contact between lost and saved people, but that there is a fundamental distinction that cannot be lost. 
right? That, that those who are God's people have been set apart by God and should not uh, reflect the lost value system and pattern of life. So, so there's a fundamental distinction, and we're supposed to be cleansing ourselves so that we are not having contaminating connections, if I put it that way. And here's, here's a point that I really want to drive home, because when you think about what this responsibility says, it clearly is a responsibility that sits on the believer. Right? Let us cleanse ourselves. So, so Paul is not advocating passivity about this. He's actually calling us to activity, to, to aggressiveness about the pursuit of cleansing, the pursuit of purity. And, and I know uh, that from time to time, there become these debates among Christians about the process of sanctification, this pursuit of holiness and, and purity. And there's deep strains at times uh, of a kind of philosophy that's like, well, well, let go and let God. Right? It's, it's something God has to do. And so here's the thing. Sometimes someone's struggling with a sin and they're sitting around waiting for God to do something about it. I mean, I really want to break free from this, this sin, so I'm just hoping God will do something. Right? And what they're doing is they're taking a stance of passivity when God has actually given them commands and responsibility to take action. Right? He doesn't say, let God cleanse you. So sit back and let God cleanse you. He says, we need to cleanse ourselves from these things. We're supposed to be active and aggressive about pursuing purity. You know, notice the word in verse 1, beloved. I want to make sure we're clear on this. He's talking to believers. So he is saying, God has done a preceding work in you, which has redeemed you, and has set you apart for himself. So from that gracious work of God, by which he made you his own, now respond to what God has done. To use language that Paul uses in Philippians 2. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? For it is God who is at work in you to want and work for his good pleasure. And there's no doubt some people have fleshly efforts to seek purity. And there are sometimes people who put their trust in man-made rules to pursue purity. I'm not denying that at all, but I think there's a lot of actual biblical space between a kind of unbiblical passivity and an unbiblical trust in our flesh. Right? Those are not your only two options. And, and so don't, don't fall for arguments that exclude the middle ground where God says, hey, you need to respond to the call of God to cleanse yourself. Right? You need to respond to what God has said to do and, and do so with, with a deliberate intent. Train yourself for the pursuit of godliness, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Right? He uses a word uh, that has to do with exercise and intention. Right? That you're supposed to do so is a part of what God wants us to do. So we need to start right there. I mean, that, that we cannot, um, and, and, and here's I think what happens, is a, a person falls into the mud pit of some impurity, and, and there is genuine guilt that they ought to have, in the sense of like they've sinned against God. So, so their conscience is pricked. But here's what the devil would love to do in that moment, is to actually uh, convince you Right, that this is somehow where you should be, or you're always going to be, or or you you are never going to see any change in this until something happens outside of you. 
right? And I think that's the way he keeps people trapped in despair. That's, that's actually not a godly sorrow, Paul would say in this same book. That's a worldly sorrow, right? A godly sorrow for your sin leads to repentance. It would be to recognize it as sin and to turn away from it. Okay, to accept responsibility, to respond to the conviction of God about this and pursue cleaning, uh, cleansing, as this text would say. So in, in one sense, that's sort of the negative frame, right? Cleanse yourself from. The positive statement of the responsibility is found in the words near the end of the verse, perfecting holiness, right? Perfecting holiness, uh, and that's to bring the pursuit of holiness to completion. That's the basically the word that he's using there. Uh, and actually, this one it it modifies the first verb. All right, so I don't get too technical on the the grammar part of it, but basically, the verb is the cleanse, and and perfecting is a a modifier of it, and, and it makes sort of an interesting uh, kind of scenario because the cleansing is by doing something to complete something else, right? So you're actually moving away from defilement by pursuing holiness, by perfecting or completing the work of holiness that God has begun in you because you were called to be holy. Right? You, God's choice of you, Ephesians chapter 1, is that you would be holy and without blame. Christ died so that you would be holy and blameless. I mean, that's the whole point of it is God has set you apart for himself and is going to make you like his son, and he has begun that work already. Right? He has begun the process of transformation into the character of Christ, and so you're supposed to have your eyes set on that same goal. God, God sent His Son not just to get us to heaven, but to make us like Jesus. Right? Romans 8 says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So sometimes we like to think of salvation as you like get out of hell t- ticket or get into heaven ticket. And that's certainly a, a glorious thing, isn't it? <laughs> that we will not be under eternal condemnation. We will enjoy heaven for all of eternity. But at the center of that is so that Christ will be the firstborn among many brothers. will be conformed to his image. And so what God is doing is working to make us like his son and reflect the holiness of Christ. And he's doing that through the word, chapter 3 and verse 18 says, we beholding uh, in a glass the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so the process of making progress in our holiness is a part of our responsibility. And again, it can't be treated as just a passive kind of of uh, of stance. In fact, the word that Paul uses here uh, in in chapter seven and verse one, he uses two other times in the near context that can help us have a sense of what it means. Look at look at chapter eight and verse six. Chapter eight, verse six. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you. This gracious work also. There's the same word, perfect. He would perfect in you. He would complete in you. That's about the offering. They had started to collect the offering. They needed to finish it, bring it, bring it to completion. Same thing down in verse 11. The word's used two times in verse 11. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, there may also be the completion of it by your ability. That's, that's the, the language, the meaning of the term perfecting holiness. So, we just said it in, inside the big context I was just alluding to, right? We were made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. 1 Corinthians 11 says, man was the image and glory of God. But we chose to rebel against God, and the Bible describes that in Romans 3, 23 as what? We sinned and fell short of the glory of God. 
All right, so in our falling condition, we can be described as short of the glory of God, but not out of the image of God, because Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 9, God says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So all the way after the flood, human life still bears the image of God enough that if you murder somebody, it's an attack upon the image of God. In James chapter 3, not only can you not kill an image bearer, you can't curse an image bearer. How can you bless God and then curse the one who's made in the likeness of God? So fallen humanity still bears the image of God, but it is severely marred by the fall. I just talked about Romans 8, 29. Predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. The reason that is is because... Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the express image of his person. If you want to know what the image of God in human life looks like, Jesus. Right? That he is the perfect, he is what Adam should have been. All right? Do you know what happens at the new birth? Ephesians 4:24. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Right? Colossians 3.10, same thing. You've been created according to the image of the one who made you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So the new birth begins a process where you have been made alive spiritually. You are restored in some way to the image that God had, but not completed until glorification. Right? That's what Romans 8 is talking about. At glorification, you will be made just like Jesus Christ, because 1 John 3 says what? When we see Him... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right, so every believer is headed toward a time when they see Christ and are made exactly like Christ. Between the new birth, which is your created in Christ Jesus, and your glorification, this process of sanctification is happening. Right? You are growing in Christ's likeness. You are, through the ministry of the Spirit, by the Word, being changed or transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Right? The Word reveals to us the image of God in the face of Christ, and we are being transformed by the Spirit through the Word. So Paul said that in chapter 3 when he says, perfect holiness... That's what he's talking about. All right, so so here's the thing I'd say is, just like I'd say to you, right, if you're ever going to know your Bible, you're going to have to pick it up and read it, right? I mean, it's not, it's not going to be like sitting over on the counter someday and all of a sudden it's going to fly and hit you and open up to the passage. Right? You're not going to go to bed with it under your pillow and somehow get it in by osmosis. Right, Just like you have to exercise a kind of deliberate and disciplined responsibility to feed on God's Word, you have to exercise some kind of deliberate discipline to cleanse yourself and perfect holiness. Right, It doesn't unplug at that point. That's not going to happen in a way that bypasses your response to the work of the Spirit through the Word to show you what you need to put off and show you what you need to put on. Okay, That's the process and the responsibility that is ours that we have to pursue and pursue, I think, with a kind of intentional and deliberate approach. Our progress in holiness should be a serious substantive concern for us. But it is, I think, much too common for us to actually be in a kind of uh, passive 
laissez-faire. Well, if if something triggers my conscience, then then okay. As if I don't have to worry about sin and holiness unless something buzzes on the beeper. Right? And 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 that's that's sort of where we are in our culture. So like that, like the conversation I'm talking about with the pastor, he's basically saying, so prove to me that that kind of language is wrong. The burden is on me to prove him because he's not bothered by it. As if not being bothered by it means it can't be wrong. Right? And, and I think we've sometimes dropped into that so that we treat this area much too casually, thinking that the responsibility sits somewhere else. And, and I think at least a part of that is misunderstanding how the conscience functions. Right? We think it's like a filter system, and it will catch everything that's wrong and and therefore it operates. And I think, and not to get too far into the conscience, like a theology of the conscience, but we have to recognize that the conscience is an alarm system from God, but it is not an infallible one. Right? Conscience operates according to the standard that is given to it. So here's a part of the problem in a culture where the, the, the norm on these issues is dropping more and more, you're going to have people going, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. My conscience doesn't bother me. I mean, it's just a little nudity. Right? Well, I know they're just actors, so it's not real. Right? Well, you know, it doesn't bother me. And, and, and that may only be the indication of a defective standard, right? It may be that they have become accustomed to things that they should not be accustomed to, right? And, and that's a part of my point of raising the you know, Love American style, you know, this big brass bed frame was sort of the euphemism for sexual immorality because at that point, you couldn't show it on TV. So they just had a sort of hint about it, right? And at this point, you'd have people going, how prudish. And it wouldn't be lost, all lost people that are saying that. Because, you know, you can find the, the, the review of this movie with these sex scenes at the Gospel Coalition. Right, I mean, they're 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 writing their movie reviews like this is you know like a Disney movie for a Game of Thrones or for whatever. Right, so here you have you have uh, entertainment that the world recognizes is pushing the envelope on moral things, and you've got Christians judging it for artistic quality. So friends, when that's happening, something's happened to the standard so that our consciences are operating by a standard well short of, of what would be purity. And I think we have to recognize that a part of the problem with this is that the danger of sin is its deceptiveness. Right? The, the whole point is that sin sinisterly sneaks into the life. Right? I mean, I'm not going to open up the testimonies, but but probably any of us that have been around for a long time have known some man who has fallen into some kind of sexual sin and 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 when brought to light, they they it starts to become clear that there were warning lights that should have been going off all along but they had been rationalizing all along the way. Well, we're just friends. I mean, you say, you know, we're just, we just have a friendship. We just enjoy one another's company. There's nothing wrong with it. Right? Well, well, it's just, you know, it's just a little, 
Because the very nature of sin is that it makes its way in by deceit. That's what Hebrews says, right? Lest your heart, heart be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It has the inherent, the inherent process of seeking self-justification so that it can be tolerated. So if you're in passive mode, you're effectively surrendering to its strength because you're not cross-examining it. Right? You're not asking yourselves, hey, am I, am I trying to justify something here? I mean, is this something that, that 10 years ago I would have thought was okay? Right? Is this, is this something, if somebody came to me and asked me a question about, hey, here's what I'm wrestling with, what kind of answer would I give them? Am I not even listening to my own answer? Right? Because I've said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not quite that clear for me. It's clear for you, not me. Right? Because that's the way sin works. And so we can't be passive because it is seeking to, to deceive us. And the corrupting nature of the world around us calls for active resistance. We must be actively resisting it. And again, I will say, there's no doubt, we can't, uh, and hopefully there's no, no one to be offended by this, we, we can't turn into Amish people who live in our own little world. Right? My, my son a, a, owns a couple businesses out in Seattle, and one of the ones he uh, recently acquired was because the guy who owned and built the business is a part of one of these groups, and they basically said, if you, if you don't get rid of the business because you guys use cell phones, we're going to excommunicate you. Right? So they they can't use cell phones, but he can work for the guy who owns the company that has the cell phones. So you can use them for work, you just can't be the person that owns them. right? And so there are people who come up with really weird, convoluted ways to try and stop themselves from doing something that's supposedly wrong, and we look at those people and we laugh, but the problem is if we're laughing while we're letting filth into our homes... Then, then the devil's laughing at us, right? Your, your, your anti-legalism stance turns into a stance of license when you go, I'm not going to put up any barriers. I'm not going to block it, right? You've got to take responsibility to cleanse and complete the process, push toward it in a way that God wants you to. Now notice back in 7.1, I want to take a look at the realms, the realms that this, these two responsibilities, because they correspond to each other. The first, the cleansing, the realm of that, he says, is from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And the, the idea, again, is uncleanness or a stain that comes from contact with something unclean. Right, He says in chapter 6, touch not what is unclean. So when he's talking about defilement, he's talking about something that would, would cause uncleanness or stain. He's, a, he's using language of, of, that's familiar to us from the Scripture. And so what, what he'd be saying is, listen, there's a, there are things in this world that are going to cause defilement, and you need to be cleansing yourself from them. And he also narrows it in, it's defilement of body and spirit, right? Flesh and spirit. I think he's talking here of internal and external, the inner man, outer man kinds of issues, right? So, so we're humans made in the image of God. We're not just a body. We're not just a spirit, right? We're, we're a, unit, a unit, body and spirit. We're not, we're not a spirit that inhabits a body, Right, because we're going to be resurrected someday. God's God made us body and spirit. We will be body and spirit. So, so we we got to get rid of all kinds of platonic kinds of things that would somehow treat one as holy, the other sinful. Because he says defilement of both flesh and spirit. So your spirit can be defiled. I mean, he's talking about the whole person. Whatever might come at you. And, and defile you in terms of your outer person or inner person, 
you need to be on guard against it. Cleanse yourself against it, right? So, so this would, I think, have uh, application because we're at men's conference and we're talking about purity, right? So, so here's, the, here's the, the weasel way the devil works. Well, I didn't actually commit any physical sin, so we're okay, right? But we can actually have defilement of spirit. Right, so so it's not as simple as going. Well, as long as I don't act on this and engage my body in it, then I'm okay. No, you can actually defile your spirit through uncleanness, and so we need to have a holistic kind of view about where the problem is, so that we guard against it. Because remember what Peter says that they are to they are to be abstained from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul 1 Peter 2:11 all right so you can't you can't subdivide them that seems to have been a problem at Corinth there are people actually going to the the temple prostitutes in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and it seems like it was because they had said you know well what you do with the body doesn't matter Right, and they're trying to treat it like the body is sort of like the the leftover of the equation. I've been redeemed, and so I'm right with God. So what I do with my body doesn't matter. And in our day, it tends to be sort of the opposite. But, well, we don't you don't sit with the body, but well, you can have these thoughts and entertainments and have this whole inner wickedness happening. And, and be tolerated in the secret of your heart, so to speak, and not realize that that too is a sin against God that needs to be cleansed, right? We, can't, we cannot tolerate defilement of flesh or spirit, right? We've got to be working against it in that regard. On the other hand, the realm of perfecting is in the realm of holiness, that is being set apart to God. Uh, it is it is that God wants us to be like Himself. So holiness, I think, has both positive and negative sides to it. Negative means we separate ourselves from anything that is contrary to God's will and character. And on the positive side, we are devoted and conformed to God's will. Right? We ha- we we are to be holy because the one who called us is holy. And, and we as his children are reflect the character of our Father who is holy. So, so that would mean there are things that we would say, this is so out of line with my Father's will and character, I'll have nothing to do with it. We separate from it. But it's not a neutrality. It's actually, I'm supposed to be separated unto God, so I actually want to be like my Father and obey His will and conform to His character. Because we can't really sit in neutral land. We are to put off and put on, right? Remove and replace. I mean, that's the way of practical Christ-likeness that Paul paints out in Ephesians 4. I mean, the, probably the easiest one we think of right away is, you know, let him who stole steal no more, but rather labor, let him labor working with his hands, so that you may have to give to him that has need. Right? So it's not just stop stealing. It's actually stop stealing, start working so that you can give. Go from a grabber to a giver. Right? You're, you're not supposed to have corrupt communication, but only that which is good to the use of edification, that it may minister grace according to the need of the moment. So not just enough to stop saying corrupt or worthless things, you must actually start to speak things that communicate grace and edification. So it's not just cleanse, it's actually conform to holiness. Defilement must be removed, but we also should be pursuing holiness. It's a positive thing that God wants us to move toward. That leads us to the reasons, because there's corresponding reasons as well. And I want to sort of zero in on them. Notice how verse 1 starts. Having these promises. All right, there's the, there's the first part of it. All right, 
having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. So why do we want to cleanse ourselves? Is because God has promised something to us. That's the why. And the promise is fellowship with God. Notice back up in chapter 7, or chapter 6, because these are the promises to which he's referring. Start, start if you would, uh, looking at, at it beginning in verse 16. The second part of the verse says, For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And notice, here come the promises. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? The promises of fellowship with God. That that we'll be His people, that He'll walk among us, He'll welcome us, we'll be His sons and daughters. So why should we be motivated to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit? It's because we want fellowship with God. Right? It's, it's actually, we believe the promises of God. So it's not, it's not uh, legalistic Phariseeism. It's not raw mechanical willpower. It's not me proving that I can be pure. It's me believing the promises of God. It's me saying, look at what God has set before me in his promises. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. I will dwell amidst you. Right? That, that's the call of God. And those promises become motivation for us to pursue. Right? That we should be following them in that way. But then look at the last part of the verse. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Right? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And this is, this is perhaps uh, one of the places where we just need to have our thinking saturated with the Scripture on this because there would be, there would be people who would try to say, um, you know, if, you're, if you understand you're standing in Christ, then you, know, you have no fear of God. Or you, you, know, you eliminate the fear of God. And, and, and we want to walk through it carefully because some people misunderstand the fear of God. right? I mean, it's a huge, right, a huge topic, but let me just boil it down. right? It's a, it's a, a reverential awe, disposition of the heart, Right, that is a reverential awe because of his majesty and mercy. Right? We 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 understand who he is and we stand in awe of him. And we understand what he's done for us. And it causes our heart, the psalmist says, because you've shown mercy, I will fear you. We have a reverence for God. We, we, we hold Him in awe in such a way that He exclusively has our devotion and we're committed to His will. Right? In fact, it's a kind of fear that actually draws us toward God, not away from Him. I mean, and, and that was, that's true all the way back. I mean, when, when Israel is at, at Mount Sinai and the mountain is smoking, and the people are afraid and they start to back away from it. Moses said, he says this, do not be afraid. God has done this so that you will fear him. And you're like, wait a minute. You said, do not be afraid. God has done this so that you will fear him. So being terrified of God is not the fear of God that God wants. It's actually seeing God as so majestic and so mighty that you are filled with awe of Him. And that draws you to Him. Right? Because when, when your heart fears God, you're actually inclined toward Him, not away from Him. It's, it's, and again, remember, this is being written to believers. Right, So it's not saying, here's how you come into a right relationship with God. It's saying, this is what grows out of a right relationship with God. 
You, you want to have removed out of your lives the things that impede your fellowship with God. Cleanse yourself from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And you want to perfect holiness because you have such a reverence for God. You hold Him in such high regard because of His majesty and His mercy towards you. Right? I remember uh, my, my dad went to be with the Lord in the fall of 2016. And uh, we, had a, we had a great, I mean, he was a great dad. We had a great relationship. He was a firefighter in the city of Dearborn Heights. Um, didn't come to Christ until I was eight years old. So he was 36. Um, his dad had been a drunk. My mom actually, his dad had been a drunk and died when my dad was like 12 years old. Um, so it had been 1940s. And then uh, my mom's parents divorced when she was five in like 1940 because her dad was a drunk. All right, so so they're two unbelievers. They get married. They want to have a good family, and they really were great parents, common grace in their lives. But we never went to church um, till till came to Christ. Actually, through the ministry of the church where I'm the pastor, I've been the I got saved there as an eight year old boy. Um, but but it was a great dad, and uh, because I had a great relationship with him. I had the kind of what I would say is like the reverence that this is speaking of. Part of that reverence was I knew there were consequences if I disobeyed him. Part of it was I loved my dad. Right? And I can remember as a little kid, I was out running around. In fact, it was in October uh, when I was probably like five. It was long. That's a long, long time ago, right? In the 60s where you just you know could run the streets and not have as many problems with life and and uh, you may have, I mean, they've changed it now, but in, in, in the Detroit area, um, there was a massive tradition of, it's called Devil's Night, the night before Halloween. I mean, it, it, it's like, it's crazy. But the low-level stuff is, you know, you're knocking people's, you know, doors, you toilet paper people's houses, you do all that kind of stuff. Uh, throw eggs at cars when you're taking it up to higher levels to the ones that were really in the city, they burn things down. I mean, that's when you really get it bad. I mean, it was like literally thousands of fires at night. But that meant police were always out. And I'm down the street with uh, these older kids in the neighborhood, and we're out toilet paper in house, you know, just doing their trees and everything. And, and we're walking along the street, all of a sudden this police car comes around the corner. And these older kids pitch their toilet paper up into the shrubs to try and keep it. And one of them was so brazen, the police car pulls up next to him and he pitches it down to the back bumper so he won't lose it, right? So they start talking to us and they're asking us their name. And I said, Dave Doran. He goes, Dave Doran, are you Ron Doran's son? I mean, my heart's sinking, right? They had seen him throw the toilet paper under the shrub, so they made us go get it. And then... You know, you're Ron Dornson. Yeah, you think your dad would want you to be out here doing this kind of thing? And that's the way he's talking to me. And I'm, I'm literally, I'm like probably six or seven, right? I'm just, I'm a punky kid. I wouldn't have looked six or seven at the time, uh, but I, I was running with kids 12, 13 or whatever. They go, is there any more, you have any more toilet paper? Here's little, little Davy Dorn. I walk to the back bumper. I grab that toilet paper. I come over, hand it through his window. Because I'm thinking this guy's going to talk to my dad, and and honestly, it wasn't that I thought if I go home I'm going to get spanking. It was I will have disappointed my father, right? And I held my father in high regard, and it caused me to to feel it inside. I don't want to do something that would bring dishonor to my dad. This guy has now associated this with my dad's name. See, the reality of it is, yes, in the fear of God, there is the recognition that, I mean, God's God. He's holy. He actually will deal with us in terms of disciplining us. Because Paul, Paul talks about that. Remember those people who are not having regard for the congregation in chapter 11? He says, for this reason, some of you are sick and some even are asleep. 
right? Those were his people. And God, if he loves his people, will discipline them when they're pursuing things that are unholy and unrighteous. God will do that. But it's not just like, oh man, I don't want to get spanked by God. It's, he's my God. He showed me such mercy. I love him. Would I want to do that which is displeasing in his sight? Right? So, so that moves us toward it. It moves us. God's given us promises. He's a glorious and gracious God. There's the root of it. Right? Because here's the thing, and, and we'll make come back to it, but in in I think it's I think biblically this is a reality, right? Think about it this way: all behavior, what you're doing, is directed by your belief system. Right? You do it because you believe something about it. And the power of sin is that it gets you to believe lies. Right? Watching this video is going to give me relief from my pressures. Right? It's been a rotten day today. I just want to zone out and watch this thing because it's going to give me satisfaction. And, and so that lie comes to you and you believe it and, and you pursue the disobedience that defiles you and it leaves you empty, not full. It actually ensnares you in guilt and, and can potentially suck you into a pattern that has such a deep hold on your life. It's you, your, your, your formation of your very character is being warped in it. But you're, you're, you're doing it for a reason. Right? You're doing it because you love things you should not love and you're believing things you shouldn't believe. So when Paul comes to us and says, hey, cleanse yourself from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Why, Paul? Because here are the promises of God for you. He's saying, think about what God has promised to you. Right? That God has something for you far better than anything sin offers. Right? He has something for you that is genuinely the deepest longing of your heart and it is fellowship with the Creator who made you and redeemed you. Right? Love something far more than yourself. Right? Love something far more than the appraisal of other people. Live in light of the fear of God so that you're moving in the right direction toward conformity to Him. So the battle, yes, and, and Lord willing, we'll talk about this tomorrow. There are some real practical things that you can do down here in the battle, the pursuit of purity at the action level. Right? But there's got to be a fundamental heart change to motivate it. Because if not, and I've seen this years as a pastor, Someone's coming in and they want help dealing with their sin problem because their sin problem is messing their life up. Right? I need to get rid of the sin problem because it's causing me trouble. Right? I, I'm, I'm getting into trouble. It's going to ruin my marriage or it's, gonna, it's affecting my performance at work or it's having this ramification in my life. You've got to help me. And you know what? You know what's driving them? The same selfishness that got them into the trouble. The reason they want to change is all about them. It's not actually about God. It's not about the promise of fellowship with God. It's not about the pursuit of holiness because you have a reverence for God. It's all about the same sinful selfishness that got you into the mess. And the same sinful motivations will never get you out of them. It may change some behavior, but it's not actually going to be spiritual transformation. You've got to come back to the heart. What do I believe? Is it the promises of God? And who, whom do I have in first place of reverence? Is it the fear of God that has control of my life? Okay, that's why we should pursue purity because of all that God has done for us and all that God has promised to us.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are a great and gracious God, that there is none like you, and that you are mighty and merciful. We sing it often, and we need to relish those truths because you look at us in our sin and you extend mercy to us in Christ, that we can be forgiven, that we can be cleansed, that you have given us your spirit to dwell in us if we know Christ, and he is at work to change us. And so, Lord, help us as men to look, look in the mirror of this problem and, and see what your word says and respond to it in obedience and submission to your truth. Fill us with trust and faith and hope in your promises and work in us godly resolve to pursue sanctification and holiness because we love you and we have reverence and awe to your great name. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.